whatever decision you take, whether you would decide to go fully remote, whether you try to be a hybrid office-centric, hybrid workforce or all-in office, you'll never be in a situation wherein everyone's going to love the decision, right? It's not a consensus-based decision. But the bigger challenge ends up being when you have not taken the company along in this journey on what are the reasons, what are the first principles against which you are making a decision on how, as a company, you want to operate. And then everything that sort of follows after that has to support that vision. Welcome to the CIO Exchange podcast, where we talk about what's working, what's not, and what's next. Media and Porter Daily Own. Finding the right operating model in a post-pandemic world environment is challenging. As technology leaders have quickly discovered, the needs of their workforce are complex and can vary significantly from those in other companies. Whether your workforce is remote, hybrid, or in-person, teams need the proper structure and security to work effectively. Saket Srivastava is the CIO of Asana, a software company that helps teams orchestrate and organize their work. In this episode, Saket explains the realities of today's shifting office environment and describes the complexity of delivering the needed tools and experiences to different workforces. Saket's role at Asana gives him a combination of two unique perspectives that of a CIO looking to enable his own teams, and that of a technologist that produces tools to enable teams at a diverse collection of companies all around the world. He emphasizes the importance of empowering our employees based on creating opportunities to be together, no matter where your team works from. Socket says that no matter what, your employees need a space to do deep work and have the tools and platforms to help them do it well. Also, looking ahead, We've got many great episodes coming up, including topics like generative AI and platform engineering. So continue to stay connected to the podcast. We also have some great video content. Just recently, we launched the latest multi-cloud briefing titled Navigate Economic Headwinds with a Cloud Smart Approach. This briefing focuses on helping multi-cloud IT organizations succeed in today's challenging macroeconomic environment, not only to survive the economic storm, but to emerge from it even stronger. Look for the link in the show notes. Now, there's a lot of hype and a lot of discussion around hybrid work, mobile work, various different workflows and different ways that companies are doing it. And people are starting to realize that it's not simple. Hybrid work seems like a simple thing, but it's not. There are very different use cases, very different edge cases. And each CIO in each company and the leaders in each company are handling this differently because their needs are different. So you're in a unique position. Where are you seeing some of the biggest challenges that companies are facing when they're trying to adapt their workforce model and their operations to this world that's changing, this workforce that's changing? Well, great question. I totally agree with you. It's not a problem that one has been solved, or it's not a problem that has an easy answer. There's clearly not one answer that sort of fits for all sorts of problems. I have a sort of interesting perspective on this because when the pandemic started, I was at another company. I was at a fintech company called Square, now Block. And the approach we had taken for workforce and, and, and future of work and hybrid workforce was very different from where I am now, which is at Asana. And our perspective on where people work from and, and the future of workforce is slightly different. So it's, it's, it's interesting. These are two different models where at Square, even before the pandemic, Jack Dorsey and, and we all decided that we wanted to be a remote first company. We want to give people the flexibility to come in when they need to, but otherwise they can work from wherever they want to wherever they feel that they're at their creative best. At Asana, this was before a little bit, little bit before my time here, but at the start of the pandemic itself, Asana had made uh, a decision that, 
yes, obviously through the pandemic, people are going to work remotely. But once the pandemic is over, we're going to ask people to come back in some shape or form. And what I think was interesting in both of these cases was a thoughtful, top-down sort of point of view on how do we want to think about the future of work. It's something that I think companies who are struggling more are companies who've uh, just sort of meandered around this problem that we'll see how it plays out. And that becomes, in my opinion, a little more troublesome. Whatever decision you take, whether you decide to go fully remote, whether you try to be a hybrid office-centric hybrid workforce or all-in office, you'll never be in a situation wherein everyone's going to love the decision, right? It's not a consensus-based decision. But uh, the challenge, bigger challenge ends up being when you have not taken the company along in this journey on what are the reasons, what are the first principles against which you are making a decision on how, as a company, you want to operate. And then everything that sort of follows after that has to support that decision. And, and that could be hiring. If you decided to be sort of in and around your office and in an office-centric hybrid environment, make sure that they're hiring practices through the pandemic, make sure that candidates were being told that you've got to come back, right? At Square, we decided to sort of open up the talent pool and just hire people from all across the geography. So those are important considerations that result from that initial point of view of how do you want to think about that future of work? No, I think one of the, the key parts is that thoughtful approach and making sure that you find reasons why you're going to be doing each of these things, you know, the whole who's it for and what's it for. And how do you know if it's working? I think that model really applies, especially to this hybrid workforce. And I think a lot of individuals, especially technology leaders, have thought throughout the last three or four years, they feel like they've taken an approach of thoughtful organization, technology tools, but at the same time, they're starting to find some of these issues crop up. And so when you say, like, I'm sure everyone thinks they've got a great strategy or what's our hybrid work strategy, everyone can articulate that. But where do you feel like you're seeing some things getting missed? Yeah, uh, the way I sort of think about this is it's important that one stays curious, one keeps their ear to the ground to listen what's working, what's not working. And when things are not working, it's totally fine to sort of acknowledge that and sort of work around what to do to kind of make it work. Technology can only take you so far. There's a whole lot of innovation that sort of cropped up even before the pandemic and obviously through the pandemic certainly helped. But that human connection is just so important that if you've been in a place wherein you've kept most of your workforce remote, it's still very important to find opportunities to get people together. Right. So at Asana, what we've done is we have landed in this office centric hybrid environment where three days a week we ask people to come to work and uh, two days a week they can work remotely. And that model sort of works well for us. Sure, there are times where we, we feel that people could be uh, more remote, people could be more in office. But I think just just being curious and, and, and knowing where things are working, when things are not working, not thinking that this technology is going to solve all of these problems. Yeah, no, and I think one thing that you put a fine point on is that human connection piece. And I think culture is one of the powerful engines by which things get done. And so the technology piece is one thing that can support your intent, support your strategy, but there's also a cultural technology that needs to be able to be developed to adapt to whatever actual physical technology that you're applying on there. And 
that's something that kind of emerges. What is that cultural, you know, that curve of cultural technology where we build habits, we build culture, we build teams, we build relationships in certain ways. Then you start to see those cultural technology artifacts emerge. How are you looking at applying tools to make sure that human connection is as strong as it possibly can be, even when people aren't physically in the same space? We rely on some of the same tools that a lot of other companies rely on. We got video conferencing solutions. We've got instant messaging solutions like Slack and stuff as well. What we are really big on, even as a, as a company that we focus on a lot, is how can we remove that digital friction for people? There's a whole lot of context switching that people are having to do these days. Um, in fact, there's a study that we do at Asana. We call it Anatomy of Work. There's a survey. And the results of that were pretty interesting that in a day, an average employee works across nine plus applications or tools. So just imagine the kind of context switching that they're having to do, right? As a CIO, what's very important to me and my organization is how are we creating experiences for people wherein they can do their deep work when they need to do the deep work and then provide them with tools and platforms to engage with teams and with people in, in the most productive way. And when tools can't cut it, can't meet your need, then you find opportunities for teams to come together. It's a combination of all of these uh, options, really. Yeah, and I think there's something you just said that also that fascinates me, and I'll connect that with something you said previously, which is setting expectations. When you're hiring, you're creating a, a workflow around onboarding new people, that you're setting expectations and bringing them into this technology or the hybrid workforce culture in a way that's going to make them productive. Give me your approach for how you're ensuring that that development of that workforce is going to be capable of doing the context switching, moving from in-office to, to hybrid. Are there tools and process and training sort of onboarding in place to start to fold people into the way that Asana, for example, operates as you know a hybrid or mobile workforce and how you pull people in to be able to be effective and be productive starting out like in day one, they open their laptop and all of a sudden they've got a capability to start to remove some of that friction that you're talking about. Yeah, in fact, my onboarding with Asana happened when we were remote in sort of still with the realities of COVID. And uh, what I found being done really well was that onboarding. In fact, even before the onboarding, right from the time the conversation starts as a candidate, we are very explicit about explaining, yes, we are a very thoughtful company, but this is what we expect. Once the pandemic is over, we would expect people to come. So there, that clarity is very helpful. It does not help to keep things vague and, and in a confused state for anyone. And so when the onboarding happens, it's clearly that we're through that onboarding journey, we're telling people, how does the company work? Which are the ways that people work here? How do decisions get made? Uh, how do teams operate? And then we, as part of that onboarding, we surface up the tools and technology that will enable people to do deep work or collaborative work. All of that absolutely is something that we focus on through our onboarding journey as well. Yeah, and I imagine, like you said, technology is one of the pieces, but it's one of many, many pieces. So the onboarding is really important. So communication experience, but then there's also that employee experience once the tools are actually presented to them. What I'd love to dig a little bit deeper into your thoughts on how you're removing that friction once someone's onboarded, yeah. that employee experience then becomes everything. As I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of energy and focus that has certainly gone in making this onboarding experience something that one, obviously one learns and ramps up really fast, but also starts understanding the culture of the place just as quickly as well. 
And, and our product is something that we truly believe helps with creating an environment, a, a place where people can just do work. I look at Asana as a hub where people can focus on the work. They can create accountability, clarity for work. And then we've got a bunch of integrations across different tools that sort of bring their work in, all with the mindset of how do we reduce that context switching for people and, and be able to provide people a platform through which they can do deep work. So, so we obviously are dog fooding our own product through the onboarding journey as well. You like to say drink your own champagne. <laughs> that's a better way to put it. Yeah, drink your own champagne, but we absolutely focus on that. Yeah, I think that's good because that, Friction, I think, is a key. Like you mentioned that study too. And when people are context switching, and if you decide, okay, I'm going to sign, you know, an enterprise license agreement for some big tool, and it's going to, you know, be this, and here's the reasons why we want to use it. Technology leaders also need to think about what's the cost of that. If I need to add something else, and there's going to be context switching, there's not the integration that's there, and maybe not the roadmap that I need, you know, the integration to be pulled into whatever other tools I'm using. What's that cost? And if I then put dollars or investments in other tools that are better integrated with less context switching, yeah. um, is that going to outweigh any other benefits I might think if I'm looking at yeah. this ELA or subscription license to something else? And, and, and that's where in the CIO role is, or the organization just has to play such an important role. When we talk about employee experience, historically employee experience is something that I believe the people organization, the HR organization had a big role to play in. And today as well, they've got an important role to play, but since a big part of employee experience is informed today by the digital part of that employee experience, the CIO organization has to take an increasingly active role in informing what that experience is going to be like, right? And that means that we have to have a point of view wherein, sure, we're listening to our stakeholders and our functions and our the rest of the organization, but we're also informing them that this is how work happens at Asana or for that matter, at any other company that is a CI organization that's trying to inform this, right? And it can be necessarily looked at as one tool or one platform. It's going to be an ecosystem of tools. And it's very important to, in many ways, just tell people, this is what you need this tool for, and this is how the work should flow into this tool or flow out of this tool. But you have to very simply educate people that these are the platforms that we've made a decision to invest in and focus on, and this is how this is what you should leverage, and yet be curious, and yet be listening to people and on things that they think are are better out there, and then over time sort of pivot where need be. But having that informed point of view from the CI organization is very important. Yeah, one thing that that plays into this, I want to pivot a little bit in conversation too, is making sure that you're having this type of seamless, frictionless, or reducing the friction as much as you can in these experiences while at the same time making sure that you've got a secure workforce. And not to, we're not going to go super deep into security on this, but it's a key thing that, you know, that keeps leaders up at night and making sure that you, especially when information is coming in and out from the edge all the way back into, you know, your cloud or your data center, whatever that is, that, that information is, you know, is being treated well. And is that something that when, when companies are looking at that, they should be taking an approach of, well, securities, we're not a security company, and we're going to make sure that we're leveraging the security capabilities of all the other vendors and service providers. How you're balancing those two of, I need to make sure I'm secure, compliant, but at the same time, security is not, not the, the focus of my company, and I need to make sure that I get what I need from the vendors that I'm engaging with. 
if only we were in that simple world where we could say <laughs> security is not my problem. Or- yes, you know the button that says secure and you just click yes and then it's secure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, interestingly, the way I think of security, security is everyone's problem, not just whether you're a security company or not, but not also about just if you're the CISO organization or not. It's it's for every employee in the organization to understand that they have a role to play in making sure that the company is secure. It's also not okay to that point for us in the CI organization to say that because we lean on a bunch of these SaaS providers and vendors, that it's their problem. We have to do our due diligence to make sure that they're secure, they're compliant, and all of that rigor needs to happen before the process of onboarding any of these vendors. So, so that due diligence is something that we absolutely need to own and, and, and do better at. What I think is very important is empowering the organization, the employee base, through frequent and creative ways of educating them on our security posture and what are things to look out for and what's good behavior and what's not good behavior. That is perhaps the most effective way to kind of make sure that you're staying on top of your game from a security standpoint. And then obviously as a security team, you've got to do your tabletop, your red team, blue team exercises and be at the top of your game. So those are some things that I and my organization do of and uh, I think everybody should be thinking of. The hardest part (laughs) of security is is making sure that people do the right thing. And it's tough making the the right thing be the easy thing because many people want to move fast and break things as we do, you know, uh, in Silicon Valley. And that causes certain behaviors like, well, let me just go and grab this tool or I'm using this, you know, this tool personally. Why don't I just go ahead and jump on, you know, this other messaging tool or this file sharing tool because it's the friction is less. And so you're competing in many cases with some really powerful tools. But I think you are you're in a special place where, you know, Asana actually might be one of those tools that people like go to simply because like I worked with that before. I think it's more seamless. It's more elegant. I've actually personally been in organizations where people have done that. They've kind of gone rogue. I'm like, I'm using that tool instead of, you know, this other tool just because it's it's more seamless. One of the the big challenges is what's been called shadow IT in the past. And really it's just humans not behaving and not following what the guidance they've given. Like you said, this is how we work. Yeah. This is how we get things done. Yes, and and that's a problem that we've seen in the past, and that's a problem that we continue to see quite a bit as well. But a few things that are important, right? We are the judge, the jury here. We are making a decision on your behalf. Sure, we have to have a point of view, but we've got to take the organization along in that journey. It's very important to stay close to your employee base, to your different cohorts that you partner with, so that they look at you as a partner, and you can hear of some of the things that they're trying to do sooner rather than later. So there are fewer of those occurrences. There'll still be occurrences where people find fascination with some new shiny toy out there in the market that they want to try it out. But that's also where then you want support from policy. You want to make sure that you are putting in appropriate controls wherein you're further reducing any chances of tools being brought into the ecosystem without the right due diligence. You also don't want to always stop all of this. There has to be a a level of federated decision-making and, and you perhaps need to start thinking of creating tiers or classifications wherein, hey, this is low risk. This is an area wherein you're not going to be sharing data or putting in meaningful classified secure data. And so this is low risk. And so we're going to make it easy for you. We'll let's still do the basic due diligence from an IT security standpoint, and then we'll let you go on your way. But these are 
systems of records wherein company sensitive data is going to be transacted or stored in, this absolutely requires us to kind of go through the entire process and, and the rigor. So those are a few ways I think you can limit some of this. But net-net, the closer you are to your partner organization, where it's a partnership of trust, wherein they believe that you're listening to them and you're trying to solve what they needs, people are not out there trying to go and do the wrong thing. It's just when they feel that they have less of a partner and more of a back office CIO organization that's just going to force things on them. That's where you see more of the shadow IT crop up. Yeah, when you're not thinking of that employee experience, you're not optimizing that experience, they're like, well, I'm just going to move somewhere else because this is just a terrible experience. I'm not being listened to. I don't feel heard. I mean, it's a classic sort of human behavior. But I think this that the tiering thing that you mentioned too, which, which I think is critical, I think that's a sort of a good point in which to address sort of differences in different verticals when it comes to whether or not they can and cannot make certain decisions or have certain choices when it comes to the flexibility of their workforce. I mean, you've worked, you know, across insurance, semiconductors, energy, healthcare, hospitality, packaging, banking, and financial. There's different levels of, like you say, different tiers of sensitive data, of regulation and compliance and operating models. Sometimes you need to be physically in a place. Sometimes you can be remote. So when you're looking across verticals, just starting with big buckets, financials versus energies versus consumer packaged goods, were you seeing some of the opportunities for the technology leaders to change the way that people worked in the past while still making sure that they're accomplishing what they need to as a competitive member in their, you know, in their industry? I think industry aside, sure, there are some which are more regulated industries and and the sensitivity of data is perhaps going to be higher than maybe in some other other industries. You've got to be curious. You've got to learn. You've got to listen. You've got to understand the business of the business and then see how you can be that enabling function and not be looked at as that roadblock or someone that everyone's seeing you come and then maybe pivoting and going elsewhere. <laughs> they, they see you come no. down the hallway and they're like, oh, I'm, they, they just start walking the other direction. <laughs> Who did I run into, right? That's, that's the worst case scenario. And so uh, having that sort of partner mindset and wanting to learn what are people trying to solve for and then helping them find the most efficient, best way, educating them along the way that why these are considerations that we're thinking of, it, it is something that's quite doable. Yeah, I think being curious, that's that's always a key, I think, in a lot of different roles, but especially you know when you're looking at having a distributed workforce that needs to be able to operate seamlessly and securely, there's always gonna be some new way in order to operate, in order to organize that culture and ensure that their expectations are being set so that they'll behave appropriately, which is, you know, which is always the dream. So I take your point is, despite which vertical you're in, whether you're in healthcare or banking, finance, fintech, whatever that is, you've got to have that flexible mindset of what that employee experience is and how you can enable that. Because you said some, some leaders are just kind of waiting to see how things unfold, which, you know, can create their own challenges. Where are you seeing the workforce evolving? Because it is, it's not, it's not a binary event. There wasn't some day where, where they came on and said, look, everything's over. Everyone gets to go back. And then that flip, everyone changed their behavior over several years, which it, that's what it takes for, you know, to change behavior. Where are you seeing that slow evolution happening in the future? You seeing things starting to, to harden, starting to solidify in the ways that companies can run and say, okay, this is how we're going to do it now. We can do it this way moving forward. Or do you feel like it's still evolving? It's still a moving target. I think as a generational sort of macro shift, 
things are still sort of on the go a little bit. They're, they're still sort of not fully settled, right? There are some companies who seem to have landed in a good place. There are some companies that are still sort of figuring their way around. Again, I, I believe what this sort of shift has brought is that your workforce craves flexibility. And you cannot completely ignore that and, and force a top-down uh, mandate. Yet, this is a business that you're running and there are expectations that you have out of running this business. And so it's that marriage of allowing for that flexibility and yet creating an, a highly productive, accountable workforce that is delivering and answering to their stakeholders and shareholders is, is where different companies will land in different places. I see that there is an aspect where there's some bit of remote work that's more or less acceptable with, with different companies, right? There are certain roles that require you to be full-time in office because that's just the way that work can be done, right? But if you are in that either hybrid, remote, hybrid office or a fully remote environment, you still need to consciously find opportunities in a repeated fashion to bring people together. That is just so important and then you can't just leave that to chance. You've got to create uh, space, budget, funding, all of that stuff to get people together. That's how people's guards will lower. That's how people teams will start operating at a higher velocity and with greater trust. That's the shift that I'm seeing. And that's where I see the future headed, continue to head as well. It's very organic. It's very, you know, it's changing in different areas and different geographies. I think that the flexibility and curiosity that, that you're talking about is what I'm most interested in sort of exploring in that next phase of, you know, how this hybrid work is, is evolving. And so I think that's a good transition for us to do this the part of the show where we call Take It to the Board. In short, ladies and gentlemen of the board, costs are down, revenues are up, and our stock has never been higher. And that's if you're having that board level conversation and you're with a board of directors and you've got the CEO or the CFO, you're sitting next to them or you're on the Zoom call <laughs> remotely and you're trying to say, this is the reason why we need to have this sort of flexible strategy, then this is the reason why we shouldn't be having a top down mandate. And whether that's simply from a employee experience or whether that's sending a signal to Wall Street or however you're, you know, you're operating, whatever the sort of the externalities of the decision is, how should CIOs and technology leaders be approaching that board level conversation so that the board really understands the importance of that flexibility and the curiosity that you're talking about? The good part is that everyone's gone through this journey at the same time. So <laughs> there's some empathy in there. <laughs> there's certainly a lot of empathy in this conversation. Also understanding that there's broad understanding that there's no one answer that works, right? The conversation on the board is, is really about how do we have a motivated, highly driven, high-performing organization? And for that, you've got to be sensitive to employee workforce needs as well. And uh, you also need to make sure that the organization needs to be high performing. So there are certain expectations. Just sort of thinking about it from a shareholder, stakeholder perspective and how to kind of get create a high performing team. I think that's what it really boils down to. So it's it's I actually don't even think that this is much of a conversation, at least in the board meetings that I'm in, because uh, the companies that I have been over the last three, four years, we have landed in a place where we feel generally good about how we're approaching this. This is not a decision that you'll have 100% people and everyone on the board agreeing to fully, right? But this is an informed decision based on these principles, based on what we've heard from people. This is what where we've landed. 
And you need to give it time. You need to give it time to so that it plays out. Yes, you will continue to sort of keep listening and be curious about it, but it's not something that you can very quickly continue to pivot either. That's the way sort of I think about it. And, and, and I believe these are conversations that I would be surprised if there's a, still a constant with the board because uh, it's been three years that we've been navigating this now. Yeah, and they should have, you know, realized what the situation is and, and been on board with uh, the direction that you'll need to go as a company and, and relying on you in many cases to to ensure that that, that ship is being steered appropriately. So, uh, Saket, this has been really a great conversation too. I wanted to see if there's any place you're going to be speaking, any place online people can find you. Um, where can people, you know, learn, hear, see more about you? When not working or spending time with family, uh, <laughs> both both full-time jobs. Uh, LinkedIn, I'm fairly active on LinkedIn. That's the best way to kind of reach me. Excellent. This has been a fascinating conversation. I appreciate you joining the CIO Exchange podcast. All right. Thanks a lot, Janine. Thank you for listening to this latest episode. Please consider subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more insights from technology leaders, as well as global research on key topics, visit vmware.com slash CIO.